How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the In It Not Of It podcast. This is episode eight, and me and Bailey are super, super excited for this episode. As you can tell by the title, in this episode, we interviewed Dr. Tiberius Ratza, who, if you don't know him, he's the associate dean of the School of Ministry Studies, and he's the professor of Old Testament Studies here at Grace College. And he's an amazing dude. He's been a professor of mine in several classes. He's been a great mentor and just an, a friend even. And um, if you know him, you know he's amazing. If you don't know him, you'll see in this episode. But he is just an awesome dude. In this episode, we talk um, about his origins. Um, he grew up in communist Romania. And so talking about that, talking about his faith and what that looked like. And then some stuff uh, just going on, his views on the stuff that's going on today. So... Hope you guys enjoy. This is an awesome episode. Listen all the way through. If you haven't, uh, make sure you follow our Instagram page and let me and Bailey know what you guys want to see on future episodes. Enjoy. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dr. Ratza. Um, I figured you'd be a valuable guest, valuable person to have on just to talk about um, different things, you know, they've had more experience in life, um, in different areas of the world than us. Um, so I guess we just want to start off, like how, like, how did you become a Christian? how did you become hmm. saved? Like what's, what's the origins of your testimony? Like what's that look like? Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for having me. First of all, glad it's only audio because <laughs> I have a face for radio. So that's good. Uh, I disagree. I would disagree. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a strong disagreement. <laughs> uh, so I have to start from the beginning. Uh, basically, I was born and raised in Romania, uh, 1970, when I, Romania was under communism. And, um, you know, uh, even though the country was under communism and the president was very anti-faith. He was an atheist who killed pastors, demolished mm -hmm. churches. My parents were believers. My grandparents were believers. So I grew up going to church. Um, actually, my dad was the choir director, so I would be there every time the church opened. Mm -hmm. Good kids programs. Uh, so I grew up uh, hearing the gospel all the time. I knew the Bible. I, I mean, there was not a lot to do in Romania, you know, growing up. So I would a lot of times I would just read the Bible for hours on end. There was nothing else to do. <laughs> um, no phones, no social media. No, no. It was, and even TV, we had uh, two hours of TV, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And it would start with communist propaganda. And so that was like a communist like mandate. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So mm. there was no cable TV. You know? yeah. It was just one channel, uh, again, controlled by the state uh, media. Kind of like the U.S. right now. Uh, oh, oops. Did I go there? Okay. We'll get to that later. Okay. Oh, no. So uh, 8 p.m. to 8, uh, 10 p.m. started with communist propaganda, ended with communist propaganda. So anyway, not a lot to do. So I would, uh, you know, we, we would play soccer outside and, you know, ping pong and things like that. And that's how you get so good at ping pong, uh, huh? Yeah, that's another story. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, so I went to, to school uh, first grade, and you know, we were taught from the beginning there is no God, but I knew better because my parents taught me differently. You know, we we knew that the Bible was the Word of God without error and uh, not just for faith, for practice, but for anything history, theology, science. It was, it was true. So, but even even though you know, I grew up in church, I knew what the Bible said. Um, you know, I learned how to lead a double life. You know, at church mm. and at school, I was a saint. Mm. And with my friends, I would do and say what they would do and say. Yeah. So, um, October, uh, well, no, July of 1983, I was 13, and I was at my grandparents' house in a village in Romania where basically every summer we would spend our summers in the village. Uh, our parents would send us there for the whole summer. And uh, talking, uh, actually, there we didn't even have TV, so uh, we would uh, play soccer all day long. And uh, in the evening, we would, uh, you know, take the cow to the pasture. That was our our job. <laughs> anyway, fun times. But uh, one day, I remember uh, in July, it was uh, my parents were there for some reason. My uncle, aunt, cousins, everybody was there. 
And one evening there was a big storm and, um, you know, thunder, lightning. And um, my dad had a dream that night and he dreamed that I was a little demon, you know, devil, like with horns and everything. <laughs> so he, uh, he shared that at the breakfast table. So everybody laughed, you know, everybody Good morning laughed. conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great way to start the day. Everybody laughed except me. So I was 13, and I remember uh, walking in the fields that day just thinking about what my dad uh, dreamt. Why would he dream such a dream? So uh, three months later, in October 2nd, 1983, uh, we're back in my home church, a uh, small Romanian Baptist church. Um, an evangelist comes to preach, and he was he used to be a psychiatrist. who gave up his practice to become a pastor, a mm-hmm. preacher. And he uh, preached from Mark chapter 5, the healing of the demon-possessed man. So, you know, as a psychiatrist, he gave examples of how he would have people like this demon-possessed man in the Mark 5 who would self-destruct, you know, yeah. cut himself and told those, all those stories. And but basically, his whole sermon was, look, if Jesus can heal this guy, he can heal you too. So I'm like, hey, I remember when my dad dreamed that night, you know, with... Me being a devil, like, hey, this is me. I, I need I need to be saved. So um, uh, I raised my hand. This guy was kind of pushy, you know, hey, raise your hand, mm, come in yeah. front of the church. And so I, I was in the balcony. I had to come down. It was standing room only, uh, which was our church. Church was on fire back then, um, even though it was persecuted. Mm. So I went in front of the church. It was probably me and other 10 people. And I remember just crying uncontrollably. And, but after I finished, I remember what the, uh, experiencing what the Bible calls the, the peace that passes all understanding. And I knew that what happened was, was a real thing. Um, a month later, I had to, I sat in, in front of 10 deacons from my church trying to explain to them that what happened that night was real because I wanted to get baptized. And these guys were not, they would say, well, you're too young. You know, I was only 13. Uh, Back then in Romania, you had to kind of be 16 in order to get baptized. But I guess I talked them into it because I got baptized um, in November. Uh, so about a month later, I got baptized. And um, yeah, that's that's my uh, my story. And um, there's more to that, uh, how yeah. I felt called to the ministry. But yeah. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, cause so you said like, in Romania at that time, it was very, like, a persecuted time, and the president was um, just obviously very anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like you had, I don't want to say, I guess you didn't talk about all your experiences, but um, it seemed like you had a fairly, well, I would say, like, a normal church experience. So, like, what did that, like, how did that look like persecution-wise yeah. um, with the state and, like, with your church? Because it yeah. seemed, like, fairly normal, like, choir director, like, your dad was and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, like, like, like describing it, it's like, oh, yeah, we had that, too. <laughs> yeah, no, because I'm like, I'm like, here. yeah, it's similar. Like, I've, <laughs> but then so, they're like, we also have uh, freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like. Well, it's interesting. So so my dad was actually, my, my dad worked in a factory okay. Monday through Friday. But he had some training, lay training uh, in music. So he was the choir director on weekends, basically. Um, but yeah, communists gave us freedom to worship within the church's walls. Mm. So they were okay as long as you kept it there. Interesting. They didn't yeah. like to, you to do evangelism. Yeah. Uh, but here, here's what happened in, in the church. Basically, communists were all about control. Uh, and just like dictators are usually like that because generally they're paranoid. So um, they would have church informers they would have informers in the church so for example on monday morning these guys would show up at the secret police headquarters and tell the secret police you know what was going on at church the previous sunday mm-hmm. and actually my dad because my dad was the car director the secret police came to him and called him into the our office their office monday morning a couple of times to tell him you know what the pastor preached and things like that because for example, we had American pastors come and preach, and if they preached out of Exodus, oh, the communists would say, oh, see, they're telling you to leave your country. I'm like, no, they just preached about the Exodus event. 
anyway, they were, as I said, they were very, very paranoid. Uh, but uh, my dad tells a story when they wanted to go on a mission trip with the choir. And obviously, you can't just announce it in the church, hey, we're going on a mission trip. No. So he only told the choir and said, hey, we're meeting at that certain place, certain time, and the bus will come and pick us up, and we're going to go on this village mission trip. Well, when they got there, the police was waiting for them, mm. which means that the informer was in the choir. So eventually, they figured out who he was. You know, kind of everybody kind of knew who the informers were, but... So they're like, they're like spies within the church. Yeah, for the yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, again, it's... It's like a bunch of Judases. Oh, yeah. yeah. People kind of knew uh, who, who they were. Uh, I mean, eventually they, they figured yeah. out who they were. But uh, again, communists were okay if you kept it in the, in the church. They didn't like they you go to go outside and evangelize. But I can tell you that I remember growing up, our church was on fire. Uh, so we had maybe... 300 seats every every Sunday at church we probably had four or five hundred people standing room only wow. oh yeah oh yeah um, it, it was on fire and that's why I think I think persecution is good for the church because it really tells you who's a Christian and who is not you know there in Romania you couldn't afford to be a nominal believer I mean either you were or you weren't or unfortunately you were an informer yeah but you, you know I think a little persecution is good for the church. So yeah. I know here in America, sometimes we, we think, ah, we're, we, which by the way, we should fight for our freedom, no doubt. Uh, but I'm not praying against persecution because I think a little persecution is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of, it's, it's one of those things like my, my mom and I talk about this a lot because, um, like my area is very like, uh, very, very conservative and very gung-ho on our, our freedoms and, like, what it means to be free and all this. But I think there's a misconception um, of what freedom is. Like, there's that freedom in Christ, the salvation that we've, we receive from Christ and a salvation from our sins and, and hell. And then there's an American freedom that we have to go do whatever we want within the confines of, of, the, of uh, the Constitution. But they don't coincide. And I feel like the church in America has has said, no, 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 they do coincide. Freedom is is just we're freedom, to, free to do anything. And I don't know, I, I don't know if that's kind of what you're hinting at, but I I mean I would love to hear your thoughts on that. No, listen, I mean, so my dad left Romania because he wanted freedom, no, no doubt. So, so I uh, again, 1983 when I gave my life to Christ. So in 1984, my dad decided to give uh, to to pay a fisherman three months wages to take him across the border, across the Danube mm. into Yugoslavia. The United Nations had a refugee camp in Belgrade. Once you made it there, you were safe. So my dad finally had it. You know, he 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 didn't want to live in that environment anymore. Besides us as evangelical Christians, by the way, they, nick, they nicknamed us the repenters. That was our nickname for us mm. because we repented of our sins. And that was the way they mocked us and it was different than Greek Orthodox, which were basically nominal Christians uh, in, Rom in Romania at the time. Um, so, you know, we were repenters, and repenters, you know, couldn't get a, couldn't get a better job, couldn't get a job promotion. Um, as repenters' kids, we had very little chance to get into the university and get an education. So... My dad, even though he was 48, at 48, he, he, he left the country. He didn't know any English. Made it here in November of 84. That the paperwork for us to come. We came in January of 86. But that's the reason he wanted to do it, to give us freedom. Yeah. And for us, freedom, that meant, you know, hey, my kids can go to any schools they want. And he wanted to give us a chance at an education. So, yeah, from that perspective, yeah, we do have freedom in America. We, we have all types of freedom. Uh, but we, as again, as you guys have seen and watched the news, our freedoms are more and more infringed upon with different silly things. Uh, which again, it's what's sad is that what I'm seeing here in the U.S. right now is what I've seen growing up. And so you know, I I don't just read history; I lived history. I mean, I 
I was there when these things happened. I, I stayed in line to get bread. I stayed hours online, uh, uh, hours on end in line to buy meat. People would literally uh, step on each other to, to get these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, some some people don't want to learn from history. So again, we learn from history that we don't learn from history, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, there is freedom. And when I got here to the States, I knew this was the country of all opportunities. By the way, good or bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think it still, it still is. So we do. We still have a lot of a lot of freedom. But unfortunately, again, uh, we're learning. Uh, yeah, I see many things. Uh, I see people, Amer- Americans, enamored with socialism because they don't understand it. They they don't learn from history. They don't read what Lenin and Stalin did in Russia with people that didn't agree with them. I mean, yeah. we're talking about millions of people being killed. I mean, there's nowhere where this worked. Nowhere. And then we're enamored with this idea. It's because... Again, people just are, are ignorant, uh, and sometimes they're arrogant. They say, yeah, we'll get it right. Well, it, yeah, so in many, many aspects, it's it's sad what's going on, but I still think uh, we're still the greatest country in the world. We still have a lot of freedoms. Uh, but again, uh, I mean, we can still go and, and vote and yeah. vote people in and out as, as we want, but... Yeah. Obviously, more importantly, as you mentioned, uh, freedom in Christ is the most important for people to become believers. Nobody at the gate of heaven will ask anybody if they were Republican or Democrat, if you were vaccinated or unvaccinated. No, the question is, what did you do with Jesus? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a, it's a weird relationship because like persecution for Christians in America does not look like persecution for christians in other countries like people are literally like i'm and curious and like does it even exist that I like because we like to substitute just, it yeah. and but is that actually that like we're not even like christians here don't even experience real persecution just because we get told like oh you're wrong and stupid for believing in a god like because that's what our form of persecution is you know and so yeah. it's just it's this weird thing to where like i feel like we're kind of getting to a point where there are so many anti-christians in the country and like we mistake that for persecution and then we're like uh, like we're being us as Christians are being oppressed in this country when we're not looking at like all the freedoms that we still do have mm-hmm. in this country still, you know, yeah. but, um, but it's still like, like you said, you've still seen some different trends that you experienced growing up starting to happen here, Oh yeah, which is wild. Yeah. Um, it, it is sad. Uh, but again, I recognize it uh, because I've seen it. I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for example, in our churches, some people think if you go to church and you're required to to wear a mask, let's say, you know, that's not persecution. That doesn't rise to yeah. the level of go persecution. Down, that's on the records. It's not persecution, Karen. <laughs> he said it. He said it. <laughs> well, you know, like, again, think about all the countries in the world today that actually experience persecution. No, we're talking about people dying. Mm, yeah. People are being killed for their faith. We actually have a former student who was a student was a, uh, was in Afghanistan until recently, and their whole team came out, and um, you know those people were killed for their faith, uh, and they were targeted, and they had people in their team being killed. That was persecution, you know, yeah. dying for your faith, losing your job over your faith. Uh, that's that's persecution, and it happens in a lot of par- parts of the world, and. Uh, it is very important to understand American Christianity is not Christianity. Christianity is Christianity. And if you look in the, in the rest of the world where the church is growing, that's where we probably should look and learn what's Well, it's like flourishing in other parts of the world oh, yeah. because mm-hmm. of like persecution well, because they're actually tested in their faith. Isn't it, isn't it like in, uh, in China, the underground church in China, isn't that like thriving right now? No doubt. It, the underground church is always thriving. Because, no, like not. you said, you can't. It's like you can't afford to be a lazy Christian, and like, because we can here. We're like, we're like, oh, like we don't have to read our Bible. Oh, we for can live stream on week. Sunday mornings. Exactly. Like, we can watch church in our bed. Oh, I went to church this morning. Not read I our Bibles for a week. I commented in the comments section because, of our live stream. Yeah, because we're like, <laughs> but then there's other people who are literally tr- like dying trying to get their hands on a Bible. Yeah, you know, which is 
It's like I laugh because it's funny, it's but it's wild. like it's 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 terrible. Yeah. No. I'm yeah, I think we each. This you know, I like the what we have in chapel this year. You know, with Matthew, follow me. When Jesus says to follow him, you know, he means follow me because you might have to get up on a cross and die. Mm-hmm. That's what he says, you know, follow me and, you know, you, you got to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me. And people all over the world are doing that. So I know some sometimes people are very fatalistic here in the U.S. Oh, this is what's going to happen to the church. Listen, the, Jesus said that the church will always grow, will always thrive. Uh, the gates of hell cannot conquer it. So I'm not worried about it. The question is, what are we doing here or us? What are we doing in our local churches where we are called to serve? Yeah, it's been it's been something that's been a, like persecution has been on my mind ever since I had a cl- the class with you where we watched Tortured for Christ mm. and mm. just like stories like this. Like Tortured for Christ is such a good, like incredible testimony to this man who had this faith for years and years and he was in prison and would just pray like not and I'm just like I'm thinking if I were in that situation like gun to my head do you believe in Jesus if not like I'll shoot you like how would I react and I get like kind of nervous cause I'm like would I would, would I always claim him you know because it's that's hard because we've been so pampered with not like yeah we get told called stupid or whatever for believing God here but like Compared to that, I'm just like, like, like our feelings get hurt. That's yeah. that's what our persecution is, yeah, like, oh, which is so sad. I don't believe, but like it's yeah, and it's stuff like that. And like listening, I've listened to like podcasts with um, this girl who was from North Korea, and she was like a defector. And like her her entire testimony of North Korea, which is like the most extreme mm-hmm. form of communism, it's just incredible. And like she was talking about how. Um, to come over, like she, she got say, like she got rescued by these missionaries, but like to be part of the missionaries and like what go with them, she had to like accept Christ or whatever. And um, she's like, it was a pretty easy, um, like understanding the Bible for me was pretty easy because um, the North Koreans, like those communists, they essentially just take the Bible and replace God and Jesus with like Kim Jong Un and like hmm. their leaders, hmm. like. Well, they're, they're, that's kind be, of funny in all honesty. Because, like, because to them, the I forget, like the grandfather of all these, he's like the creator of like the whole world to them, hmm. and he gave his one and only son, who was like Kim Jong Il or whoever it was, um, he gave his like one and only son to be North Korea's like whatever propitiate. It's like she's like she's like it's so, like it's the, the reason worst form of she's, plagiarism. She's like the reason North Koreans don't want, like North Korean government doesn't want them to find out about Christianity is because. She's like they ripped off Christianity. Hmm. She's like everything about it is like their whole like whatever line theme they got that going on in the country. So it's just it, it's wild what other countries actually have versus what we have. It's so hmm. yeah, yeah, Com- yeah. Communism's I, bad. I do have <laughs> something though, like, like to, to to okay. So early, not really. It was late last year in December. I went to a I was filling in at, at a job that I worked at for a while, and um, I got on this conversation with, with them. They're very, uh, like, anti, you know, like, like we have our rights and, and whatnot, and they're Christians too, so it's like, we're, Christ- we're, we're Republicans because of Jesus. Like, Jesus would be a Republican, basically. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I, I was saying, <laughs> right, that's funny in itself, but I was, I was saying, like, if... They, they were talking about how, like, China is going to come over and take over, you know, the United States, and then we're going to be under communist regime and all this stuff, and, like, like talking how they're going to start, like, buying guns and, like, batting down the hatches, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just shut my mouth. I was not involved in the conversation. And then they brought it up to me, and I was just thinking, like, like I just kind of said, does it matter? Like, if this happens, why why should we fight? Should we fight back in general? Like... Is that something we're, as Christians, we should do? Because it's hard for me to be like, yes, let's kill other people and fight back and save our, our freedom here in America when that means that we're killing, like, other people um, or, like, not even not even killing. Like, we'll just resist, I guess. Like, what would Jesus do in these situations if we were to get taken over by this communist thing? Like, sh- why were we up in arms about it? Like... 
Like, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so I was actually going to ask you this. Like, so one of the guys then pushed back and was like, well, God sent his armies to kill a bunch of like pagans and whatnot. And I was like, well, that was the Old Testament, which is why I'm bringing this up to you mm-hmm. since, you know, you specialize in the Old Testament. And I just want to know, like, wh- what does that mean? God did send, you know, the Israelites to defeat nations. Yeah. But does he still call us to, def- like, fi- defend anything yeah. besides our faith? Well, there are many issues there that you, you mentioned. First of all, the U.S. is not Israel. So the U.S. is not God's chosen people. I think sometimes we act like that, but we're not. I think I think for a, a great while, God did bless America because he was founded on biblical principles and uh, on, on Scripture. And again, probably the founders were not, would not have been, you know, your pastors, but they still had princip- biblical principles that they lived, they lived by. Um, so that's important to understand. You, the U.S. is not Israel. We are not God's chosen people. Uh, that's very important to understand. Um, can God use America? Has he used to reach a good part of the world? No doubt. Can still God use uh, the U.S.? No doubt. Uh, but uh, we have to be very careful when we say that you know we are God's people and what what that means. Now to go to the Old Testament. Yeah, God chose Israel to be the chosen people, and through Israel, you know, Messiah came, uh, Jesus came. So if you look at all the all the nations that were destroyed, uh, and God chose told Israel, hey, destroy these people. Again, these people were not. Uh, a lot of times we're thinking, about, oh, these are nice, innocent little people, you know, God fearing. No. These were pagans who couldn't care less what God wants or who God is or what his will is. So what God is doing, look, God God is going against all the people who are against his will and his plan. So in in that case, he meant destroying some of these people. But if you look carefully in the Old Testament narrative, Israel, in most cases, didn't do what God told them to do. And why did God do that? Well, sometimes he did it because he knew Israel was fickle. So if they're not destroying the people, Israel will end up worshiping the same gods like those people. And if you look in their history, that's exactly what happened. When they went into the promised land, it says very clearly uh, in uh, Judges, you know, this tribe didn't drive out the inhabitants. This tribe did not drive out the inhabitants. So what happens you get anarchy. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Uh, so, again, all those things need to be explained in in context. God doesn't close his eyes and says, okay, you guys are saved, you guys I'm going to destroy. No, all this is done in context. God is protecting his people. And if he has to go through some extreme measures to do it, he will do it. And he did. And by the way, um, read the end of the New Testament. You think... In the end of the New Testament, uh, God is this lovey-dovey person. No, God is still the same loving God, but who will judge sin. And at the end of the world, dude, there will be a lot of bloodshed. Why? Because all these people will come against Israel. But again, God will intervene and he will destroy them. I think I feel like we've seen historically with America, too, we've always backed Israel and defended Israel. Very much so, and I think that has also been a cause of why America has also been blessed as well. Exactly. That's uh, Genesis 12. Uh, the promise is given to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Yeah. And I think the reason evangelical Christians have always been a friend to Israel is because we understood we the promises. First, yeah. yeah, and we understood uh, from the beginning, and that's why... Uh, I believe that God is not done with Israel, the nation of Israel. As Romans eleven twenty six says, around Christ's second coming, there will be a mass conversion of Jews. They will accept Jesus as the Messiah. So, uh, yes, we still need to be friends uh, uh, to Israel. Now, again, when we say Israel, just like I hope when Israel says about America, they don't mean our government, mm-hmm. yeah. but the American people. Same thing when we talk about Israel. We don't mean the Israeli government, because if you look in their leadership structure, most of them are 
pagans, most of them could not care less about what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. You have some who do, but most people, even in Israel, you know, as the Bible says, they have rejected the Messiah, and they're not people of faith. But hey, as a whole, the nation, they're still God's people. God still is not done with them, and still has a plan for them. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I feel like we've seen, I guess, I don't want to say America is just going down the hill, but as we kind of severed ties, have severed ties with Israel in the past, we can see how that correlates to our well-being as a nation, I guess. But, mm. um, but yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, Bailey mentioned um, just like your specialization in the Old Testament. Um, I mean, you studied the Bible as a whole, at least I hope so. But um, no, but like how how <laughs> you um, how you typically you teach like Old Testament classes and like degrees in uh, Old Testament. So what kind of garnered that love for the Old Testament that's driven that? Well, uh, so I became a believer when I was thirteen. I came to the states when I was fifteen and a half, and that spring, nineteen eighty six, I was living in Southern California. Uh, a man came to our church and said, communism in Romania will fall. And that was three years before it fell. So, <laughs> no. <a> prophet. <laughs> yeah, well, this guy actually uh, knew uh, history. He knew R Romanian history. He knew uh, European history. And in the, in the past, there was a group of Romanians who went and got educated in France uh, and then came back and changed Romania for the good. And he said the same thing will happen again. Communism will fall, but there will be a need for people to go in the West and study and come back and teach the Romanians and rebuild the country. And that's when I felt a call to the ministry. So I was 16, and I, I always thought I was going to be go back to Romania and teach. Uh, so I went, I got a degree in urban planning because I didn't want Bible. I knew I was going to get Bible in seminary in my PhD program. So I, I got a degree in urban planning from Cal Poly Pomona. Then I went to seminary. Then I went to do my PhD. But when I was in seminary, I didn't know what I was going to teach. I knew I was going to teach, but I didn't know what. Mm -hmm. So I took Greek and Hebrew at the same time. And I said, if I like Greek better, I'm going to teach New Testament. If I like Hebrew better... We teach uh, Old Testament. Now, nobody told me I was not supposed to take Greek and Hebrew at the same time. <laughs> I don't know how you did it. I didn't have an, an advisor. It was a big school. and um, I couldn't take Greek just by itself. So. <laughs> and uh, I liked Hebrew better, so uh, then I focused on Old Testament. So, um, And I do think Hebrew is a simpler language. Greek is much more complex. I mean, Hebrew is much more ancient, so vocabulary is... Uh, you know, fewer words in the vocabulary, less structure. When you get to Greek, you get a lot of complex issues going on. So many. It's like uh, one word in Greek means like five different words in English. It's well, like in Hebrew it happens the same thing. There, uh, what we say is that a certain word has a wide um, semantic range, yeah. which is true. For example, I'm working on a commentary on Proverbs right now, so I was working on the chapter on generosity. Well, the word generous comes from the root hanan, which means to be gracious. So from that whole root, you get to be gracious, to be generous. You get loving, you know, you get a, a lot of things. And that's the truth, With especially with simpler languages. One word can mean many things. That's why context yeah. is very important. And Hebrew is not a, a dead language like the biblical Greek is, is it? Is it still spoken? Well, so modern Hebrew is alive, but biblical Hebrew is dead. Okay. Uh, same thing with Greek. Uh, biblical Greek is dead, but the professors are alive, you know. So you've got to still study the, the yeah. languages. By the way, Richard Wurbrand, which you mentioned, uh, you know, the author of Torture for Christ, he he spoke about seven languages, really? and he was uber smart. But he always said, "Hey, if you know when you love someone, you will learn their language." And he said, "If you love God, you know you want to learn the language he wrote the Bible in." Mm. <laughs> now I, I understand many people can't do that, but at yeah. least at least our pastors should be able to know the original languages so they can explain. Yeah. If there's an issue, hey, what happened? And we're not going to resolve all the issues, but at least we know why so there are issues in translation. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. I think it's, I've always appreciated your um, like insight, just the Old Testament, just because I feel like our generation is very like, 
Old Testament's boring and don't don't want to read it as much mm. as, as much as the New Testament at least. Um, I don't know, man. Genesis is okay. Besides, like Gen- the first Genesis like is like first s- like five books of the Old Testament. Books it, like first and second like Kings, Judges, Numbers, stuff like that. Not as many Judges people, is interesting. Though. Not as like, many there's people. Some, there's some good stuff in Judges. But typically, it's I feel like right, right, right. Like right. The I'm go-to, not <laughs> sorry. The go-to is the Gospels. You know, like that. yeah, yeah. And so, and what I found in um. I don't know. I'm not big at big in arguing with people online about Christianity or stuff, but I I see stuff on social it's media. It's quite it's quite uh, <laughs> entertaining. It's kind of depressing actually watching Christian arguments in the comment mm-hmm. section. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sorry, Sorry keep going. Yeah. I just need to say well, that <laughs> one of my like my biggest things that I have the hardest time not like responding to on social media is people's lack of understanding of understanding of the different laws in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. J- just because so i have tattoos like quite a few tattoos uh, i know sinner right but no so people will like people will see tattoos on a christian and they'll mm. say like it's just some ignorant non-believer and they're like you're going to hell mm. and then it's like well leviticus whatever whatever 17 whatever says you can't have tattoos and they're just like oh well that doesn't matter it's like oh also you're going to like christians are you that stupid you're going to hell because you're wearing two different cloths of like two different fabrics or whatever Mm. or you're going to hell like all these different things and so i i have seen and and then i see other christians in the comments defending it but defending it in the completely wrong way we're like well old testament doesn't matter like you know Mm. like old testament doesn't matter Mm. and so i guess i'm just saying that for your own insight because i think we've talked about it in another episode about like uh i talked i talked about it because i did an episode on tattoos you did did in the and so i did briefly talk about um you know, like the separation of the old covenant and our new covenant, which we live under, but um, not that, and not that that's not not important for us now, but that it doesn't apply to us now, at least. But so the way I explain the law is that the law is both revelatory and regulatory. So even if you don't read it for the regulations, which again we are not under the Mosaic covenant when it comes to the ceremonial law. Um, we still need to read the law because it reveals us who God is. So it's revelatory. So if you don't read, you know, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're missing a good portion of who God is. Now, again, revelatory, uh, and it's also regulatory. Uh, if Again, and I know a lot of people don't like this, but the truth is that the law can be divided into moral law, civic law, ceremonial law. Mm-hmm. So obviously we don't have the ceremonial law because, again, Hebrews explains that Jesus died once and for all. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, by the way, they're all, they all appear in the Old Testament before they are given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they all appear afterwards in the New Testament. Uh, in other words, these are not these were not some laws that the Israelites were going like, oh, wow, I didn't know I'm not supposed to kill. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I'm not supposed to have adultery or covet or steal. No, they, they knew that. They knew it was wrong. It's just that then it just becomes uh, the law, the law of the land. Again, they didn't have a constitution. God gives them the law to be their constitution. How, how are they going to live as a nation? But yeah, we are not bound by the Mosaic law, but the moral law is still there. I mean, oh, yeah. the all the laws, stealing is still wrong, adultery is still wrong, having other gods before Yahweh is still wrong, idolatry is still wrong. So the moral law is, is still there. And when it comes to, to tattoos, for example, you also have to look at the context. Uh, God says they don't do it because, you know, these nations were doing it they were carving things in their bodies uh, in, uh, to mourn for the dead or to commemorate the dead or something like that. So obviously the motivation, the motivation of the heart uh, is important. But yeah, yeah just like uh, God will not check at the door if, uh, you know, what your political party was, he will not check you for tattoos if they're approved or not approved. Again, it's, yeah. I've, I've heard people actually like, still talking about tattoos people because i think in, in revelation when it talks about how on jesus thigh when he comes back it'll say um like king of kings Lord of Lords. <laughs> oh. and people are like jesus has a tattoo like don't you i'm like okay well i <laughs> yeah i don't know about that but uh i don't know yeah i think 
a lot of people in our generation undervalue the Old Testament, and a lot of people just ignorant um, non-believers will try to use like verses like that against us, and then they'll also try to use like the whole well, God is different in the Old Testament than He is in the New Testament, you know, like, and uh, that's something even Christians can struggle with. Like, well, God's like killing all these people here, but then all of a sudden He's like all about love in the New Testament, and so. But um, God was a God of grace from the beginning, yeah. as you know. You know, God. Why didn't God kill Adam and Eve on the spot? Well, because He was a gracious God. Mm-hmm. He could have, uh, you know, killed Abraham, Moses for their disobedience and rebellion. But God from the beginning was a loving and gracious God. But he is also just, uh, and he has to punish sin. And that has not changed, and that will not change. So God is the same. It's just people cherry-pick what they want to, what they want from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. And as you know, uh, people don't appreciate the Old Testament just because they didn't read it. Yeah. They didn't study it. Uh, so in the spring, I'm teaching uh, Old Testament Bible exposition. I'm doing Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. Mm. Again, two books that are a lot of times ignored, and yet they're so very important uh, because they're very relevant. Um, so, and you know, after people take these classes and study, then they say, oh, there's so much in there. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but you have to read it, you have to study it. Yeah, I feel like, and besides, but besides like the different Bible stories that we were taught in like Sunday school and stuff like that, people don't really venture out into the Old Testament um, too much. Yeah. But. I like the Old Testament. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah, Bailey took it twice. I did. Nice. I did take it twice. <laughs> nice. I, I passed it the first time to all those listening. No, no, the second time was in grad level. So he oh, took nice. undergrad and grad level. I so. take out the grad level. I'm, I'm getting qualified, guys. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I'm just now taking a New Testament class like this next session, which is kind of like my senior year of college. I'm like, wow. I feel like I should have taken a New Testament class far before that. But I took Book of Mark. I took a class over the Book of Mark. Yeah, so that's, that's good. That's, yeah. Do a couple of devotionals over, over Matthew and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I think, is that... I got, I got one more question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess this is a very, very, you know, basic interview question. But if you could, if you have any piece of advice to a believer of our age. Um, in America. In America, not Romania, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, what's one piece, like, if you could tell your younger self or somebody our age as a believer. Um, and, like, to, considering, concerning today's day and age, like, what we're faced culturally, um, what we're challenged with, like, what would that piece of advice be? I think the greatest challenge for all of us is speaking the truth in love. Um, but it all starts with the truth. We have to know what the truth is, and that we do have the we do have the Bible. So I would say, make sure that the it, the Word of God is your foundation of everything that you say and do. Know what it says. Uh, a, a friend of mine used to say. Uh, before you get up to say, thus says the Lord, you need to know what says the Lord. So if you want to minister to people, which we all have to, we need to know what the Bible says and not let the world reinterpret it for us. Like they're trying to, you know, they're always trying to reinterpret or redefine the terms for us. Deconstructing. Oh, yeah. Faith is one of my, oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. We have to now argue, you know, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created the male and female. I mean, the Bible is clear. Hmm. There are only two genders, yeah. either you're male or female. So now we actually have to explain that and defend that in a world that tells us no. Yeah. There are 56 genders or whatever, and everything is fluid. Uh, and yet, the Bible is very clear. Or, you know, marriage, uh, God defines marriage. He, you know, he creates Adam and Eve and makes them live in a covenant relationship before God. That's marriage. I mean, everything else, what the world throws at us, uh, you know, is it's against Scripture. So we cannot go against the Bible just because it's unpopular with the culture or with the society. But that's why I'm saying we, we do have to know the truth. But once we know it, we have to speak the truth in love. And I think that's the, the challenge, like you guys mentioned, social media. And that's why I try not to argue theologically on social media. So sometimes I have a quote 
or I do an update on what I'm working on for my sabbatical. And, you know, and this, I, have, I, some, I have friends who are not believers and they're really saying some really interesting things. But I'm not getting into fights with them on yeah. social media. I rather ask them to go to lunch and let, let's talk. Yeah. But it, it would be silly for me to fight with someone on social media because that's not what I'm not using social media for that. Yeah. Um, so know, know the Bible. Uh, the Bible says that the, the Word of God is living and active, cutting. So I would say, you know, know what the Bible says and then trust the surgeon, trust the author that will make changes and transform transform us in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, as He does it. But He does it through Scripture. And that's why we always have to run back to Scripture. That's why we have classes like Exploring the Bible, Scripture Interpretation, Essential Doctrinal Themes. Yeah. CCT, so we know Christianity and critical thinking, so we know all these things from a biblical perspective. Yeah. It seems like all of our problems, like that, that come at Christianity today, are kind of like, I guess in America, kind of stem, like all of the false truths all stem from a false understanding of the Bible. Yes. Like, I mean, I sent Bailey a TikTok yesterday. Oh my goodness. Was, I was, I was totally forgot to talk to you about that, but. Dr. Ronson, it was one of the most ridiculous. So it ended up, Emma, my girlfriend, sent me this one TikTok, and it was. Um, she sent me this TikTok about uh, this lady was talking about the book of Revelation and she's like the church's understanding of the book of Revelation is completely false no today. it was just of the Bible well this was this was oh, the first, yeah, okay. first one the first one said this book of Revelation Revelation is not a book of prophecy it is not a book about the end times about what's to come about any destruction it's about it, it, it was a book What it was a book that John wrote that God wanted him to tell these people that they needed to not obey the king of the time or whatever, who like Domitian or whoever it was, mm-hmm. like to not obey the king of the time. It's not a book about end times. It's not a book about prophecy. There's like, there's no like scary end times coming. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I'm not, and then, so I'm, I open my, my Bible to, to Revelation, like the first three verses, it's like the vision of the prophecy given by, given to John or John by God. I'm like, okay, well, that's, pr-. but then it was, <laughs> it, that, that video started with her talking about, she's like, She's like debunking different things that you were taught in popular like American Christianity, or whatever. And literally, she's saying stuff like Jesus never died to come like save our sins. She's mm. like Jesus never needed to die to come save our sins. She said it was like, do you remember the other there stuff? Was, she there said? was like like uh, there's there's it doesn't talk about homosexuality. It doesn't talk about sex before marriage. It doesn't talk about like all of the sins that are mm. like it, it so prevalent in America right now. To me. And, and it wouldn't have been a big big deal if it was just like, you know, like a few people liked it. This post... Oh, it would have still been a somewhat big deal, but, yeah, but, but like with the amount of people... This post had 150,000 likes on it. Yeah. And like, I was like, just looking through the comments, like tens of thousands of people saying, thank you, like this is helping my trauma I had from the church. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. so there's two the two things. So all these people were like, this is your help, like these truths that you're telling me are helping me heal from trauma I had in the church. Hmm. So there's like a couple problems. First of all, She's just blatantly lying. Like, if you've ever read the Bible, you can at least come to the conclusion that Jesus came to save us from something, right? You should be able to come to that conclusion. And secondly, like, because what you said about bringing the truth in love, reminding of that, because these people who are saying they have these trauma from this falseness, they have, they really have this trauma from people telling them the truth, if they do have trauma, from the telling the truth in a hard way, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Because, because really, when... Especially in the in the book of Revelation, because yeah, there are some scary depictions of that if if you're not a believer. Um, but in the way that that book can be presented to people, um, in the end times literature, that can especially if you're new, that can be like scary stuff. Like oh, like our like we're our Earth's gonna be on fire, dragon, like you know all this stuff. And so, it, yeah, I, I like what you said. It all has to come from a place. It starts with truth, but there has to be love in that truth. That yeah. you're delivering. I mean, yeah. Jesus, John 17, everybody talks about, you know, I pray that they be one. But he, he emphasizes, yeah, one in truth. First, there's truth. And everybody's uni- uni- united around the truth, not around, yeah. like you just mentioned, these false things. And that's why it's important to know what the Bible says so you can know when you have false teachers like that and they speak yeah. falsehood. But again, what Jesus says is clear narrow. That's the road. Is yep. the road and narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. And few people walk on it. 
you know, wide is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Yeah. So uh, we have to get used to the fact that we'll always be in the minority. See, that's mm. another point of sometimes we have an American Christianity. Oh, if we just have the majority in this or that. No, the Bible says we'll always be in the minority. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's that's good. And it, it is hard because like when I see videos like that that have like literally like 150,000 people saw that and liked it, I'm just like, that's tough. That's that's like that's like making me boil like boil inside. Mm. I'm like, how how can you blatantly, you know? But yeah, yeah, yeah it all goes back to the truth and grace and love. So yeah, it's, it's a, a it's just, yeah. yeah, it can be. If you don't have a proper understanding of the Bible, then everything from that is gonna flow. Yeah, that's why. Because so many people are like, oh, like theology doesn't really like matter that much. Like I like you know, I'm just I just called to love others. Yeah, well, that's true. There's actually you know you know um. Oh, what's his name for Elevation Church? Stephen Furtick. Yeah, Stephen Furtick. There's a quote of him saying that if you study theology, like they don't they don't teach theology there because it it is lazy Christianity because we are taught to go out and evangelize, and all of this and like you can look that up. Look, I I challenge our 28 viewers or listeners right now. Hopefully it'll be more, but I challenge every single person to go out and look at that quote and and you can't read that and be like that's. That's him, like, useless. I mean, that, that, that he's right, I guess, because you have to know what you're actually evangelizing, what you're telling people. Yeah. So. I got, the, t- the final takeaway would be you don't have to be a, a biblical studies major, whatever, like a, a student in the youth ministry no. to need to know your theology, right? You don't have to be going into a pastoral or a church position or yeah. a, a vocational ministry position to know your theology. Like, yeah. every Christian should want to understand the bible yes. and how it should have some type of working theology because mm-hmm. um, we have to we have to know what we believe so first peter talks about so yeah. amen yeah. well dr Rasta, thanks for coming on i think this was, this is good i enjoyed yeah. it i think it's a lot of we'll fun probably I honestly we'll probably do it again sometime yeah like sure. down the road so yeah no i appreciate all your yeah. insight thanks uh, for having me yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah if you guys enjoyed just let me and bailey know Feel free to reach out to Dr. Ratza. If you see him, tell him he's on the greatest podcast in the entire world. Yeah. Um, With our, what, 28 listeners? Yeah, 28. It's growing. Thousand. It's growing. <laughs> no, but, um, we're not counting. We don't want fame here on <laughs> Well, Well, maybe you don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you all later. Bye.